Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the What's Next podcast. I'm so delighted to have James Highland with me today. Hello, James. Hey, how's it going? Very good. So I want you to introduce yourself uh, to the audience today because some people might know your business, but might not much about you. So kind of explain about yourself and your background. Sure, no worries. So my name is James Highland. I'm originally from Mitchellstown in Cork. Uh, I currently live in Los Angeles in California. Um, I own a company called GTC, which, um, which stands for Global Tour Creatives. And we're actually the world's leading creative entertainment agency. So what we do is when an artist goes on tour, um, we sit with them and we design the whole entire brand of what the tour is going to feel like for the consumer to be aware that the tour is going on the road and then when the tour is actually on the road. So the chances are if you've ever went to a show from Lady Gaga to the Eagles to Harry Styles, we have worked with all of them from the very start of the idea of them going on tour to actually being on tour to wrapping the tour. That's just and because I love concerts. So I want to kind of talk to you kind of later in the conversation about that experience and how you get get out there. And I suppose how you, I suppose the, the niche of that and how to, I suppose, advertise separately and bring that theme to life, I think is really, really important. But I do want to start kind of a few years back um, when, you, when you were in school. And mm-hmm. I suppose I'll, we'll start from there and we'll kind of lead back to, to, to where you are today. So I suppose, James, kind of talk to us. I suppose through school period um, and what I suppose what was your aspirations what you kind of wanted to do in life at that time cool I mean look there's no denying it I absolutely hated school and um, I never wanted to go to school in the morning time I used to have numerous conversations with my parents who were telling me I had to go and you know I was always late for school I never had my homework done um, and it was truly down to you know I didn't love education, right? I knew where I wanted to go. I knew what what was my drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew what I enjoyed the most. And, and it was ironic because my dad, um, he owns a school bookshop. So the teachers were often coming into him, you know, asking how I'm getting on and everything. And of course, you know, there's those awkward silences. But when I was 12 is really when my first passion came. Um, I started a pirate radio station. Uh, called happiness fm and it was it was probably only broadcasting to next door because they didn't have enough money to to buy big transmitters but you know i was also started djing at that time you know i mean you'd never get away with it now having a a 13 or 14 year old djing in a nightclub or in a bar but i was djing and you know whatever money i was making weekly i was pumping back into the radio station that i had and which in turn you know created a, a bigger, wider audience and a, and a bigger transmitter that I could purchase. So more and more people were hearing it. So I truly knew my passion at that point was some form of entertainment or media. Um, and it really gave me the drive to, to you know, getting every single opportunity that I could get out there. So when I knew, I knew school wasn't for me, I knew I was never going to finish school. Um, but at the same time, I knew I had to go because it was so important. So when I was 16, it was the very first year that Leaving Cert Applied had come to the table. Yeah. Um, so I opted for that scene just because it was a more practical route and it gave me more opportunities to have experience in where I wanted to go. Because mm-hmm. if you think about from a media point of view, yes, you can go to college for journalism and everything like that, mm-hmm. but there's no one that can really teach you a skill in terms of production or, you know, or understanding how how a radio station needs to, you know, communicate with people and stuff. So that was an important avenue for me. So I opted for Leaving Cert Applied. My very first experience was in Cork's 103 FM and 96 FM. And uh, it's funny, 
a lot of the people I work with were still in communication with every every day still. The first job I had was unraveling cables in an attic, which I hated. And I, being very outspoken, said to them, like, this is not what I'm here for. I'm here to be on the radio. I'm here to do this. And, you know, I, I was very direct about it. Yeah. Um, so I stopped unraveling cables and they put me into production, making the commercials for the radio station okay. as soon as possible, which was nice. Yeah. And then my next round of work experience was in Tip FM and Plumel. And um, I was 16 at this time. And after I came back from Tip FM, they reached out to me and asked me, did I want to have a full-time employment with them? Okay. So at that time, I sat down with my parents and I had the conversation about, you know, look, this is where I want to go. Yeah. Obviously, you know, for every parent, it's like, you know, you get that stomach-wrenching moment where it's like, oh my God, you're trying to leave school. This yeah. is not the norm. This is not what you're meant to do. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, my parents were extremely supportive i had a conversation and they were they were like look you're you're young enough if this doesn't work you can always go back and do your leaving cert so let's give it a try and see what happens but of course being 16 meant i couldn't even get to work every day so my mom had to <laughs> drive me to and from work yeah. um but yeah i mean since then i i worked in in tip fm in um live 95 fm limerick back to cork 96 fm yeah. i helped launch news talk 106 in dublin at the time it was just a regional local station for the dublin city region and uh worked on various projects with rt and uh and then uh when i was 17 maybe 18 i started getting into concert promoting yeah. uh, thinking that i could afford to pay for these massive bands to come to ireland and yeah. uh, ended up losing my shirt on atomic kitten in mill street in cork and uh, at that time, I connected with uh, Peter Aiken in Dublin, who yeah. uh, obviously is one of the biggest promoters in Ireland. Yeah. And um, and to this to this day, we still work together. I, I make all the marketing campaigns for his Irish shows. And uh, we were lucky then when I was 18 to get the Crazy Frog contract. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember. It was a frog on a bike that went ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, yeah. So we worked on that in 22 countries uh, for quite some time and uh, it just all took off for us in terms of uh, just where we right. wanted to go until we made the best or the next bad decision of launching a TV channel thinking that we could take we're, over the world. We'll talk about that in a second but I just I just find it fascinating how you know like in terms of the drive very young like that's very you know that's not everyone has that drive and and you kind of knew the media it was always media wasn't it like from everything you've said there it's been the media it's been the you know the, the radio what was the interest there of, of that? You know, I have no idea because it, it never was something that was primarily in my family, so to mm -hmm. speak. So it didn't come down from anyone. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, my dad was hugely into sport. I, I was into sport when I was younger. And then I realized that, you know, entertainment and media was more passionate to me. Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of fun, you know, like my sister was on the radio with me a lot as, as the pirate. And I think it came a there was obviously an ego trip to it as well, where what you were doing was being noticed by people and people were, you know, proud of the fact of what you were achieving. And yeah. and that goes a long way, no matter what you're doing in life, for someone to acknowledge what you're doing is worthwhile. Yeah. And, you know, what everyone does is worthwhile in every single different aspect of life. And I think that's important for people to be, you know, to be praised in what they do. It doesn't matter whether it's public 
mm-hmm. I work or what is behind the scenes, I think what everyone does is a, is an accomplishment. And I think you you know you talk very much about being direct and you know saying I want this, and I'm very into that. Like I started my business last year, and I I work with someone. She was like, "You're a bit of a hustler," and it's kind of like you need to kind of like try things and ask for things and see how it happens. Is that a huge benefit in the industry to have that personality where like, I'm going to just ask for it. And if I get a yes, if I get a no, I'll, I'll know each way, but let's ask. Yeah, I mean, look, an answer is the best thing you can get. Whether it be yes or no, you can deal with it, right? Yeah. It's like buying a house, you know, you, you contemplate with, with your partner or yourself or your friends and go, will I buy it, will I not? Will I put in this offer, will I not? Yeah. Put in the offer and then make the decision. Do you want it? You know, yeah. because until you have that idea that you can have something, mm-hmm. you have no control on whether or not you can have it. Yeah. So get to a stage where you are the one making the decision that, yes, I can make this happen. That is my decision now. But one thing that frustrates me in life is like, I don't know what you may call it, but like humming and hawing, right? Going, yeah. will I do it? Will I not do it? Make the decision and then decide if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So you were kind of, I so you were still very in your early 20s, was, was in the TV TV channel, was it around then or was it before that? Yeah, I think it was like, we were quite young. We had made a lot of money from the crazy frog at yeah. the time. Um, and we, we wanted to try something new. And, you know, we were young enough to try different avenues that, you know, we didn't have anyone relying on us or we didn't have any dependence. So like, you know, we could take the risk and know that if we messed up that we were still young enough to bounce back and yeah. come up with something new. Yeah. Um, which is not something that I would do right now at my yeah. current age. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but back then it was like, you know, you, you become invincible somewhat and you, you yeah. want to try everything out. Yeah. So yeah, we launched a, a music channel called Bubble Hits. It was in Ireland, the UK, Hungary, Finland, Denmark and Germany. Okay. Um, it was a, a music channel that we launched as a non-commercial music channel first, first okay. which everyone loved the idea, right? I mean, who wouldn't love an idea of music channel 24-7 and it was branded mm-hmm. shows. So, for example, you know, our first client um, was Michael O'Leary to come on board for Ryanair and they sponsored the show. Okay. And um, it made perfect sense to do it, but unfortunately for us, we were way ahead, way ahead of our time, right? No one knew how to calculate the value of sponsorship. So, for example, when a TV ad airs on a network right now, mm-hmm. um, you pay for the volume of audience that you get, right? So, in Ireland at the time, I believe it was 800 homes that were registered out of 3.1 million homes that had TV at the time. Okay, okay. So, 800 homes were dictating how Coca-Cola, for example, was spending their money, which to me is absolutely yeah. bizarre to think yeah. that that's the case. Yeah. So, and what really made it up to us at the time was we were running a competition for fly private jet to see Justin Timberlake in London. Okay. And we would air a promo and we would get literally get thousands and thousands of entries at that time. Yeah. But when we started running commercials, if we ran a commercial before or after the promo, the ratings would say that we had zero viewers. Right. Okay. So how, which the advertising world is, is still somewhat, you know, mm-hmm you know, spent upon is yeah. how can they justify that you have zero viewers, but yet you have thousands of engagements for a promo for a competition. Yeah, yeah. It just meant that the 800 homes that you were in, maybe maybe none of them were watching, but if we had one of those homes physically watching us, yeah. we could have had thousands and thousands of audience rated to say that they saw yes. the commercial. It was just yeah. so skewed and it's still a little bit backward, which is why the digital era of like Facebook and conversion yeah. rates is really taking over. Yeah. And so for you, like, 
I, I suppose what I find really interesting is, you know, you were in this situation, you were dealing with the big names in the music industry. On a personal level, James, you talk about, you know, people like, you know, seeing you what you're doing because it's probably more of a public career because you're you know you're out there with, with the celebrities and with that how did people did you, how do you find that that people dealt with that someone that was very young doing were you appreciated were you you know how did you find being in the industry so young at that stage you know the most interesting thing is I was so young I was hiding behind my email so no one knew how young I was. So when I was brokering deals or talking to people, mm-hmm. they just saw my name pop up. And you wouldn't, like, I mean, you'd never question what age someone is yeah. that's emailing you if they're able to wire you money to yeah. confirm a contract. You know, yeah. you would just take the money and run and then yeah. Yeah. worry later kind of situation. Yeah. But it certainly is relationship heavy. The more you work and the more you get recognized for your work, the more work you do get. Yeah. Um, it's a very trustworthy closed business so to speak mm-hmm. it's hard to break into it's one of those things where it's like you know when you're applying for a job you have to have experience to get the job but yet there's nowhere to get experience without having experience it's, yeah. it's like yeah it, it just doesn't make sense so it is it is a very hard industry to get into but once you're in it it is very much a family-based environment where everyone treats you with utmost respect yeah um obviously there's there can be a lot of egos right yeah. but but at the same time that's why people have fans, you know, because they, they have those artists on a pedestal and they look up to them. So there has to be some level of ego to achieve what artists achieve. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, you think about the level of artists we work with and you think, oh my God, you know, they, they must be really difficult to work with. Yeah. Absolutely not. The bigger ones are the easiest to work with. It's the ones on the way up that are harder <laughs> to work with. That's interesting. And like, for you, I suppose, like, talking a bit about that like do you think that that ego and that person like that that's what's selling isn't it that that's sort of the bigger the better is what's selling at the moment you know and I think that's that's really interesting so after the tv show um so you kind of said that you you know you probably learned a lot of stuff from from that side of things what was your next stage after that then so almost 11 years ago um I had an idea to I, one of my friends was in LA and I was coming and going a lot to LA and I loved it there. And I always said, this is where I want to go. This is where I want to end up. Um, what, even not for the entertainment side, it's just a lifestyle in terms of waking yeah. up to sunshine every day and having that, you know, like, you know, that gray sky kind of disappear. It, yeah. it was where I wanted to be. And I would have found anything to make myself have moved here at the time. Yeah. Um, we set up a company called Global Tour Creatives. And what it is, is, is basically we're like, we're almost like a brand toolkit for an artist when they go on tour. Yeah. So when, you know, Jennifer Lopez sits down with you and she says, Hey, I want to go on tour in 2022. You ask her, what does she envisage? What does Mm -hmm. she see the tour look like? What color palettes is she interested in? Mm -hmm. And you design the whole aspect of what people can think about, you know, when they're buying a ticket, what they can expect from the tour. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing for us is, whenever we're launching a tour, we're always using the previous tour's assets to launch the tour. Right, okay. So if you get me, the only footage I have of, of Jennifer Lopez as an example is her previous tour, right, of her live on stage, yeah. but we got to make that look like it's a new tour. Okay. Yeah. You know, because you have no you have no live assets to promote the, the new tour. Yeah. So some artists will work and will shoot like new material um, and pretend that there's an audience in front of, or some artists, you know, you're working from a tour five years ago or some artists are reunion tours and you don't even have the correct lineup and that you're trying to make or some artists have changed and they've dropped 
one of their members before yeah. they're going on tour the next time. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of moving parts. So what we do is we make an we make it a toolkit such as like what the artwork looks like, what the radio spot is, what the TV spot is, what the digital campaign is, what the out of home assets are. Mm -hmm. And once that's locked in, what happens is every single promoter in every single city that books that artist has to come to us to buy the material to promote the show. Okay. So if if we're going to New York, we're going to Boston, Chicago, when the artist goes there, they're using the assets that they have already pre-approved. So no one can go rogue in any state and make their own poster or add their own support artists. Everything has to be approved and come from our office. So it means we have complete control on how that artist is portrayed yeah. in the commercial world for their tour. That's, that's unbelievable. And like for, for you dealing with these, you know, I suppose celebrities and singers and performers, are they very invo involved, James, in, in the process? Or is it- Some people are. Okay. Um, it, it's funny, you have some managers that want to tell you what they believe the artist wants to okay. see and then you make the material and then the artist sees and goes this is not my vision this is not where i want to be yeah, yeah. and then you have other artists that are on the phone with you all the time and like are texting you and they're trying to come up with ideas and yeah. sending you like you know vision boards as to what yeah. they want their artwork to look like and artwork is the biggest thing for them i mean tv and radio put it to one side the artwork is what locks everything into place as they have a complete vision then it's, it's like I, I'm in marketing myself and I and I'm just finding it really interesting I suppose you know how it, how it's done I suppose I never quite thought about how but the visuals of it and the creation of a show it's and it, it, it's it's I just said it's the way you said it, the brand toolkit that's and and it, that's a lovely way of kind of putting it because like, as you said it's it's that that is the show and then everyone that is trying to promote the show has that piece which is really vital in terms of the industry how has it changed James in terms of uh, in terms of gigs and concerts and experiences and how how has it evolved in last years? Um, it's certainly, I mean, 2019, we were set for our biggest year ever. I mean, it was like, we, we couldn't keep up with the demand of 24 hour work. Um, it was crazy. We were putting up like, we were putting up like maybe two, 300 shows a week on average across the world, um, come March. And, and we had the summer of 2019 was shaping up to be just phenomenal. And if you think about it, no matter where you are in life, whether you're sad, whether you're happy, whether it is an occasion of celebration, everyone turns to music, right? Yeah. And as depressing as it sounds, if you're if you're upset about something, you're out of a relationship, you're putting on a depressing song because you want to feel lower than what you are, right? Yeah. Or if something's happy yeah. or you're going out for a night out, the one thing you do is you're putting on, you know, going out music to gear yourself up for that moment. Yeah. So yeah, music is some way on standby right now, you know, with a lot of plans and huge plans for it to come back and probably be bigger than ever. Yeah. If you think about it, as soon as there's any form of celebration, and it will be a celebration coming out of, yeah. you know, COVID, the one thing people are going to turn to is music, right? And they're going to be dying to, to go out and have fun and have like that moment of celebrating with friends back again. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, if, I, if you said to someone right now, how do you feel about jumping up and down in a sweaty crowd? You know, there will be some levels of nerves, but yeah. you, people forget quickly. You know, they yeah. move on mm -hmm. and they want to have that moment again. So if I said to you in six months time, you can be back in the scenario of 2019 where you can celebrate with friends yeah. and hang out and go crazy. Yeah. You're going to take that ticket. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I said the demand's probably going to be higher even because of that loss of time, I suppose, with it. I suppose for, for you, James, looking into the future of, of music and the industry, um, you know, 
you know, the digital side is something that I kind of very interested in and kind of, you know, experiencing your brand online. I suppose for you, how is the online space, I suppose, helping, you know, that experience with concerts? Is it, or is it, is it damaging it? Is, is the in-person, you know, the fact it's online, how, how is that affecting the industry? Is there a positive or negative side to it? I think it's extremely positive. Before there was always some hesitation thinking, you know, if, if something's online, will people go and attend the show, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I think the demand is going to outweigh the yeah. concern, right? Yeah. So for example, if, if you've got a Fleetwood Mac show in Dublin and they're a hottest ticket in town and they're there for one night only, right? And the promoter caps it at whatever the capacity is in Dublin, 13, 14,000. And then tickets become available for an online experience yeah. because you can't get you know yeah. tickets anymore yeah. you're going to take that online experience yeah. so it's it's going to allow an artist you know achieve more of a fan base more yeah. revenue and it's going yeah. to allow people experience something that it's like money can't buy right when yeah. you want to go to a show and it's sold out it gives you that moment of money can't buy that's actually interesting because i actually said that to someone recently about it like they probably know like film concerts while it's live so that there'll be a dual sort of um i suppose revenue and, and some of it's oh, that makes no sense i know it actually does make sense because like yeah. they have they have all the equipment for it okay like i love concerts i've always loved concerts and i don't think there's anything when you go there it's very different sitting at home because that's a different experience but it's a definitely an avenue to i suppose to increase the revenue but as i said to reach a wider fan base there's that and there's you know if there's some concern about people going back into yeah. you know a crowded capacity they can be more comfortable in their own home yeah. you know having that experience and not missing out at the same time yeah. but it can be a case where you know sometimes an artist only tours a certain region so like if if the artist is only available in in north america and may not necessarily be in europe for two years due to scheduling you know you can get that experience if it's available online before they arrive in your country absolutely i always end the, the podcast james with with one tip i suppose for people you know what you've learned through your experiences um you know coming out of school and all that what's one tip you'd, you'd give people so that you'd love to have known back then i think hesitation is a big thing right yeah. where you overthink everything mm -hmm. so i'm I have now changed my mindset. If someone needs something, you say yes and you worry later and you figure out how you're going to do it. Yeah. Because not everything is a is a moment of going, I can do this, I can figure it out. Like learning how to deal with something yeah. after promising you know you can do it <laughs> yeah. is is certainly beneficial to how you know how you should progress in life. So yeah, I'm completely a yes person. You know, my team kill me for it and they're like this is unrealistic we're not going to turn it around in time but you know what we always pull that you know rabbit out of the hat yeah absolutely james thank you so much for coming on i really do appreciate it no worries